The Economist. In London, this is The Economist. I'm Anne McElvoy, Senior Editor, and you're listening to The Economist Asks. In this show, we'll ask how teaching should evolve in a world hungry for skills, but where the results of long stays in school systems doesn't necessarily equate with more knowledge or the ability to apply it. We'll be hearing from the recent head of Britain's most famous private school, who thinks that exams are in oversupply. We have to pay unto Caesar what's due unto Caesar, and then we get on and do all the serious stuff. And from the radical Argentinian education reformer in the new government, who believes schools should be thinking more like the innovators of the space programme than the automobile industry. We need to build a rocket for our kids. And we'll find out what the man who came to power in Britain promising education, education, education and won three terms in office makes of current global progress. There's no good school with a bad leader. For this show, I headed to Dubai to hear from some of the world's leading education reformers at the Global Education and Skills Forum there, trying to thrash out the best ways to improve outcomes in schooling across the world. And outside the conference, I caught up with Esteban Bullrich, Argentina's Minister for Education and an ardent reformer, something the country desperately needs as it's continued to languish among the laggards of the PISA tables of international achievement, even after spending more on education from 2000. Mr Bullrich comes with a firebrand reputation as the education boss of Buenos Aires. Since last November, he's been charged with replicating that role on a national scale as education minister in the country's new centre-right government. And as we walked among the birdsong and tourists outside the conference, I asked him what success would mean in terms of better outcomes for his country. The success story of Argentina, I would think, would be uh, having every single kid in Argentina having the chance of accessing a quality school close to his or her home. Giving every single kid in Argentina the chance of being able to be a full citizen of this amazing world. Admirable, if lofty, aims there. So I asked Mr Bullrich how he intends to start. The biggest challenge we face is, as we did in, in the city, is focusing on teachers. Their initial training and their ongoing training. The world is evolving very quickly, knowledge is evolving very quickly, and we need to keep updated with that. And teachers need to have the support of the governments in terms of their training and their uh, innovation capacity uh, to be able to transmit that to the students in every single school in, in our country. But education reforms can run up against fierce resistance from trade unions, and not just in Argentina. Mr Bullrich made news by freely giving his mobile number out to teachers across the country when he ran education in Buenos Aires. He invited them to share their views of his reforms. I think the biggest problem we've, we, we had faced when we tried to do reforms in education is that we don't listen to each other. I've been able to work in the city, improving conditions of the teachers, but at the same time demanding improvement in training and in quality, and also in the commitment that uh, the, the unions have with the reforms we're putting forward. They understand as much as we do the need for changes. I mean, they are seeing the frustration in teachers in schools all over Argentina, so I'm sure I'm going to be able to work with them to improve the quality of education but at the same time improving the conditions the teachers have when they're teaching. 
How are you going to do this on budgets which must be very, very tight? Indeed, you've got extremely high inflation. You've got a generally very difficult fiscal situation. One of the reasons that your coalition managed to get into power in the first place. How much money are you going to need to do this? And to what extent is money the answer? Well, I think we're investing a lot of money. We're not investing it well. I mean, it's true we have inflation, but it's one of the main goals of our government to reduce inflation in Argentina. Pretty sure I'm optimistic we're going to be very successful in, in that sense. Inflation is not a problem the world hasn't solved, and uh, so we're sure we, we can solve it. So I think that's one way to start looking at how we can invest more. Investing in different places, investing in, in, in areas where we haven't invested before. We are, we are not investing as much money as we needed in training. And probably we're investing too much money in other things uh, like transportation and in sa- salaries of government employees instead of salaries of teachers. So I think there is a lot of inefficiencies in the system that we can solve and throw that money into the education system that will improve the conditions we are working today. But as more countries aim to move up the league tables, how do they know what to improve? Tony Blair is the former British Labour Prime Minister who surged to power in 1997 with his mantra, education, education, education. So with the benefit of some successful and some not so successful reforms behind him, what does he think makes for the best approach to changing education? You've got to have a proper system of evaluation. So you've got to have the data upon which you know what's working, what isn't, and what the results are and what the standards are. Secondly, you've got to get good leaders into schools. There's no good school with a bad leader. The quality of teaching, making sure that teachers are properly equipped, is really important today. Um, And I think there's another lesson as well, which is that you need to experiment in types of provision and types of provider. And this is where partnerships between public, private and voluntary sector are very important now. And if you look at charter schools in the US, academies in the UK, other types of um, school experimentation around the world, you know, we have, we have experience now of taking schools that have failed and turning them into schools that succeed. A lot of people, both in the States, based also on some research and also in the UK, are not convinced that we need to do more of that. They think that should be a small part of education reform simply reforming the broad mass of schools that are run by the state or agencies of the state is more important. Do you think they're right? I think reforming the broad mass of schools is really important, but if you if you look at what works and what doesn't, leaving them often in the hands of unresponsive local bureaucracies is, is not what makes them perform more effectively. So, you know, if you look at, for example, London, the London school system is now often held up globally as an example of reform that, that's worked or achieved a transformation of results, both from London and indeed you can see similar things in New York. There's no doubt what's happened. The whole method of schooling has been shaken up. Greater accountability has been introduced. A new cadre of head teachers, greater freedom for those schools, the ability to make sure that even with a very broad social mix, you're focusing on getting the right elements in place so that children can learn in a decent environment and learn well. But listening to the debates in Dubai, it struck me that it's often those outside the top tier of the international league tables in education who sound most ambitious. And Argentina's Mr Bullrich has a tempting metaphor. 
I think if we if we collectively work together in reforming our systems, we're going to improve the chances of those reforms being successful. I, I use an image that helps me in, in trying to explain this to other leaders in the world, which is we are, as governments, trying to upgrade a car. I mean, we, we keep upgrading a car, and, and the truth is the car is not useful anymore. We need to build a rocket for our kids. We need to get our kids to be able to fly wherever they want to fly. And so instead of doing small baby steps in, in, ref, in small reforms in our systems, which is what I call upgrading the car, we need to leave the car behind and start a spaceship from scratch. At the same time, we need our teachers to be astronauts and not car drivers. So what's the difference? Well, the difference, I think, is when you look at an astronaut, an astronaut has to face uncertainty all the time. You know, a car driver it basically goes on the road and, and has very few variables to manage, right? An astronaut has to face with uncertainty, with evolution, with technology, upgrading technology. And I think that's the case with teachers. I mean, I, I do think teachers today have to face uncertainty. My kids, I have five kids. My kids are going to have seven jobs in, the, in, the, in their lives in the future. Five of those seven jobs do not exist today, have not been created yet. And the wealth of a country in the future is going to be the capacity of the kids of that country of being able to create those five jobs. That's going to be what will, what will uh, make a country wealthy. And I hope uh, the reforms we do in Argentina make Argentina one of the countries that creates uh, those jobs and makes our Argentina wealthy in terms of the improvement we do to giving new ideas to the world. Some people might be wondering if measuring outputs from schools in terms of exam results tells the whole story of what works in education. And a perhaps surprising voice is on their side. Tony Little was until last year headmaster of Eton College, Britain's oldest and most famous public school, which produces crops of excellent exam results. And it's alma mater to the current Prime Minister, as it happens. Mr Little is now CEO of GEMS Education, an international education outfit, and he thinks that testing has taken over the system too far. We're in a credentialist age where credentials that have been measured in some way are the be-all and end-all. Now you have to deliver that, but my tack when I was at Eton and in other schools has been we have to pay unto Caesar what's due unto Caesar, and then we get on and do all the serious stuff. But we have to keep that balance in tune. The tendency is to look for quick hits. You can shovel in a bit more knowledge and a child can turn out an extra answer and you can get a grade better and shadow of doubt. Born in years of being involved with children in schools, that the foundations laid properly bring the longer-term greater results. In other words, if a school has the confidence to get the totality of the experience right for a child, by which I mean a genuine all-round education where parity of esteem is given for achieving different things, we create a culture where it's positive, where the answer to the question, is this possible, is yes... If you generate that kind of enthusiasm and integrity around young people, they will produce better exam results in the longer run. And if we hope that school systems can do more than just provide test-passing manuals, well, Tony Little thinks that linking up schools in very different parts of the world might be at least a part of the answer. There's a great deal of difference, for example, being a young person in a back street school in Kampala 
your appreciation of what global citizenship might mean by comparison with a child who comes from an internationally well-travelled, well-off family for whom jumping on an aeroplane is normal. And yet, and yet, within a group of schools, you can build bridges and make connections and help young people see a different perspective in truly transformative ways. And I have seen this happen, and it's, it's down to me to try and make sure that is a general experience for children in this group of schools. For example, it is possible to develop reciprocal relationships which have benefit to children at both ends. Children in a school in Africa teaching Swahili to young people in a school in America and in return receiving a different approach to maths problem solving. We have more information and data and best practice examples out there than ever in the history of education. And you don't have to be a demon tester to see that the PISA scores tell a story of consistent achievement and throw up some interesting examples of countries that have made leaps up their rankings by applying good policy and sustaining it over time. Will Mr Esteban's Argentina be one of them? Let's see. Mr Blair, for one, thinks that excuses for governments are running out. The bad news is it's tough to do education reform because there are many interests that stand in the way of it. The good news is that it's actually reasonably easy to see what you should do. So as I packed my bags and put away my pizza tables to head back from Dubai to London, it seems that the lesson for national governments is to look more outside their own borders and learn from their peers and stick at it. I'm Anne McElvoy, and you've been listening to The Economist Asks. You can find all of our stories on global education on our website at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist.